with us today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to uh, turn with me today to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and uh, I'm going to actually read several different scriptures this morning and different verses before we get to John 18, but uh, if you'll just kind of park right there, we're going to look at a story in John 18 here in a few minutes, and we're going to kind of go verse by verse through that. But um, several months ago, I shared with you that from time to time, when we are between series, and that's kind of where we find ourselves today, we're going to pick up a series that'll kind of be an in-betweener that I'm going to call What the Bible Says About Blank. And uh, a few months ago, we looked at the first one. We talked about what the Bible says about rest. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the, what the Bible says about truth. And we're also going to talk about politics this morning. So I need you to pray for your pastor. Um, you're laughing, but I uh, didn't plan on preaching this message a few weeks ago. But I, I really believe the Lord has laid something on my heart for us to hear today. And today, I'm going to talk to you as your shepherd and as your pastor. And I think God has some things that He wants to say to us today. So I want you to pray for me, and I want you to pray for you. Lord, we are so grateful that You've given us another day to worship You, and that Your presence is in this place. God, I pray that You would just fill my mouth with the words that You have laid on my heart over the last week or so. And I pray, God, that You would open the ears of Your people today. God, that we would hear what you want to say, and it would transform and change our lives to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been engaged with the news over the last couple of weeks or last couple of months, when I say we're going to talk about truth today, you probably know where that idea comes from. And uh, if you don't watch the news or keep up with things on your phone, let's just kind of catch up to where we've been as a nation over the last couple of months. And, and I don't normally spend this kind of time talking about this stuff, but I just kind of want us to all be on the same page. On, on June 27th of this year, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court Anthony Kennedy announced that he would be retiring. And when he announced that, immediately there were discussions that were going on about who President Trump would pick to succeed him. And as you know, uh, when someone is appointed to the Supreme Court, the highest federal judiciary of the United States, they are there for a lifetime unless they resign or retire or are removed from office. And uh, if you don't know, Justice Kennedy, he was nominated by Reagan back in 87. He was confirmed in February of 88. And although he was nominated by a conservative president, Justice Kennedy, who was 81 when he retired, according to the New York Times, and I quote, has been a critical swing vote on the sharply polarized court for nearly three decades as he embraced liberal views on gay rights, abortion, and the death penalty, but helped conservatives trim voting rights, block gun control measures, and unleash campaign spending by corporations. His replacement by a conservative judge, something Mr. Trump has vowed to his supporters, could impair a variety of landmark Supreme Court precedents on social issues where Justice Kennedy frequently sided with his liberal colleagues, particularly on abortion, close quote. And all things considered, the person who would be selected to replace Justice Kennedy will have a major impact on future Supreme Court rulings. Uh, the Supreme Court, as we know, rules on everything from capital punishment to abortion to gun control to gay rights to uh, same-sex marriage, the Bill of Rights. The list goes on and on and on. Enter 53-year-old Brett Kavanaugh, a federal appeals court judge from Bethesda, Maryland. And on July 9th, President Trump announced that Kavanaugh was his choice to replace Justice Kennedy. And Kavanaugh graduated from Yale Law School in 1990. He's been working for the U.S. Court of Appeals and on the D.C. Circuit since then. President George W. Bush nominated him. And based on Kavanaugh's record, to his appointment to the Supreme Court would likely shift the court substantially to the right. Now, the left has done everything they can do to oppose and preclude Kavanaugh's appointment. 
as the right would have done everything they could do to oppose and preclude an appointment made by the left. And the Senate Judiciary Committee began Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing on September the 4th. And we know that during that process, Kavanaugh was, was accused of sexually assaulting Christine Ford 36 years prior, while they were both in high school in 1982. And the Senate Judiciary Committee postponed its confirmation to allow both Ford and Kavanaugh to, uh, to respond to those allegations. And so about a week ago, we watched on Thursday, the 27th of September, as Kavanaugh and Ford both went through an excruciating day of talking to that uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Kavanaugh adamantly denies everything, and Dr. Ford says 100% sure it happened. And we know that President Trump said, well, let's take a week, let the FBI investigate. And yesterday, at least this part of the story came to a close when Kavanaugh was confirmed by, confirmed by 50 to 48 margin in the Senate, sworn in as, our, as, as the next um, Supreme Court member, and he'll start work on Tuesday. Now, as we know, before the events of the past month, our country has been extremely divided on party lines for many years now. And the divide seems to be getting larger and larger. And the issues on which both parties agree seem to be getting smaller and very few. And the dissension and division has developed to the place where many have lost all civility. And a genuine animosity and hatred for those with an opposing view has now become the new norm. Mean-spirited debate and malicious words and actions are thrown like poisonous darts from one side to the other. And the hot October temperatures outside precisely reflect the boiling climate of our political blood as the capacity to treat others with respect and love has seemingly left the borders of our nation. And I think if you're like me, you listen to all of this and you say, who's telling the truth? And you wish that something would break, at least so you know who's being truthful. I was going to a funeral on, on Friday, September the 27th. I stopped in a Parker's gas station to grab a bottle of water and a snack. And as I'm walking out, I see the front page of the Savannah Morning News. And the headlines read, he said, she said. Giant pictures of Kavanaugh and Ford on the cover. And I thought, that nails it. He said, she said. One view, another view. Completely polarizing different views. And so the question that I bring to us today as a church and as the body of Christ and as believers is how do we respond? As believers, how do we respond to what's going on in our nation? And I want to I start. These are not my... Final four points, but I want to give you four things right out of the gate. Number one, we need to pray. Okay? Prayer is first. And we need to pray that God will put the people in place, that it is His will to be in place. Number two, we need to vote. We should prayerfully consider, after educating ourselves on who the candidates are and what they stand for, we need to vote. Number, third, number three, we need to stand up for the hurt and the abused. Now, whether Dr. Ford is telling the truth or not, let's just put that to the side. Let's say this, there is, it is a fact that thousands of women, your moms, your, your, your aunts, your sisters, your friends, your daughters are sexually, emotionally, physically abused all the time, right? And whether or not we agree with a certain movement or not, we need to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to polarize situations because we feel opposite on political. Bottom line is we need, as the church and as believers, we need to stand up for women who are hurt and abused sexually, Amen. emotionally, physically. That is part of our responsibility as believers. 
And God help us as a church and as His people to have discernment on those situations to know how we can show His love and give them respect. And here's the last thing as we open up this morning. We need to respond with truth and love. And no matter how we vote or how we view the issues, we must respond in truth and love. We cannot give in to the temptation to get in the mud with everybody else. We can't do it. Proverbs eleven twelve says, Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, Let your conversation always... Always be full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Everyone. Not just those on your side of the political persuasion. Always full of grace. We need to respond with love. But we also need to make sure when we're responding, we need to respond in truth. And that goes, number one, with what we say. Just because you hear it on CNN or Fox or read it in the paper or see it on, on, on an email or on a blog or on a website does not make it true. So we have a responsibility as believers to make sure everything we say is the truth. We also have a responsibility to make sure everything we post is the truth. I've seen a lot of things over the last few years and and even more the last few weeks. And we have a tendency to, to get frustrated and we post something and we may not even know if what we're posting is true. Let me give you an example. I saw a post a few weeks ago that said, President Trump has declared October 4th, bring your Bibles to school day. Only half of that is true. October 4th was bring your Bibles to school day. President Trump had absolutely nothing to do with it. Bring Your Bibles to School Day was started in 2014 when Barack Obama was the president, and Barack Obama had nothing to do with it. Bring Your Bibles to School Today is an initiative started by Focus on the Family. So that's a very simple thing, but it's one thing where we see something and we may think it will, you know, make our point and we put it up, and, and, and that's just one we must be careful as believers that whatever we say and whatever we post is the truth. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, Look, to the disciples, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Be perceptive, Jesus is saying. Be wise, be smart, be sensible, but in all of that, be humble. Be gentle. No matter which side of the aisle you're on, we must, if we call ourselves believers, we must be like Jesus when we handle these things. So what does the Bible say about truth? Certainly I can't share everything the Bible says about truth in one message, but before we get to, to, um, to John chapter 18, I want to give you five things real quick. Number one, Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. John 1.14 The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And three verses later, He says, John says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So just like the Scripture says Jesus was the Word and the Word was made flesh, Jesus is also truth. In John chapter 14, Thomas said, Lord... We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Now Jesus in John 14 says, John 16 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. In that conversation, Jesus also said, Not only will the Holy Spirit be with you, He will be in you. 
So the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me is the Spirit of truth. And when He is functioning and I am walking in the Spirit, guess what? I should walk and talk and post and communicate in truth. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. Number three, believers are to reflect and stand firm in the truth. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul is saying when we grow up in Jesus, when we are mature, we will speak the truth in love. Mature Christians develop that ability not to just speak the truth, nor not to just speak love, but to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 6.14, Paul says, as he's talking about the armor of God, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. First one he gives us, because if we don't have truth, all the other weapons are useless. And then in instructing Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says to him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Let me Look at me right here, believers, Christians, Christ followers. It is our responsibility as believers to correctly handle the word of truth. We have been given a responsibility. He has left the word with us. It is our responsibility to correctly handle the word of truth. Number four, Satan is the antithesis of truth. John 8, 44, Jesus says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So every lie that's ever told is birthed by Satan. Satan is a liar. So every lie that comes is coming from him. And here's the last thing about truth I want you to see from this point of view, and that is there is freedom in truth. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a freedom that comes when, when we walk and we talk and we're obedient in the truth of God. And again, as Paul is instructing young Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 3-4, through 4, he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What he's saying to Timothy is that when people are saved, they will come to a knowledge of the truth. When people come to know what the truth is, they'll be saved. It works both ways. So Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Believers are to reflect and stand firm in the truth. Satan is the antithesis of truth. And there is freedom in the truth. And that's my introduction. Let's turn to John chapter 18. And I want us to look at a story that, that might seem a little unlikely that we pull up to. But it is loaded with truth. And here's the setting. The last few hours have been the most difficult for Jesus. He has spent the last meal he'll ever have with his disciples before he goes to the cross. He's washed their feet. He's shared Holy Communion. He's prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. He has been betrayed by a kiss from his friend Judas. He has been shackled and he is headed toward uh, the Roman uh, governor. And before he gets there, he stops and he is judged by Caiaphas and the high priest. And when we pull up to John chapter 18, verse 28, it says that Jesus stood before Caiaphas early in the hours of the morning. And he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. And his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to meet them. Now listen to this conversation. This is, this is important words that we have that John holds for us, a conversation that happened. We, it's like we are watching court TV and we're in the room with Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate, the governor, went out and he says, What's your charge against this man? And they said, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. 
And this fulfilled the prediction about the way Jesus said he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought in. Here's the first question he asked Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? (laughs) Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and the leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth will recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No! Not this man! We want Barabbas. And Barabbas was a revolutionary. Turn over to John 19 if you're following along in your Bible. Let's continue looking at this story. It says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hell, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. And Pilate went outside again and he said to people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Jesus said, look, here is the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Guilty. And the Jewish leaders replied, By our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. And he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and he asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed, you over, handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat at the platform that is called the stone pavement. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priests shouted. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. We read that in about three to four minutes. But the timeline of everything I just read to you starts in the middle of the night. Caiaphas and the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate. And they have conversation after conversation and Jesus is flogged. The the images that we're familiar with from the Passion of the Christ movie, right? And then he's brought back to Pilate. And somewhere in there in another, another version, John doesn't give it, he goes to Herod. And then he comes back to Pilate. And Pilate keeps bringing Jesus out multiple times to say, here's the man, I'm trying to let him go. And he has these conversations with Jesus. And by the time we get to the last verse, when he finally hands him over to be crucified, it says it's noon. So for hours, what we just read, you know, we thought what we saw last week was long. This is a long day for Jesus, and it's about to get longer. But I want us to look at this because there is some truth 
that I think is so relevant for our lives today. And I just, I want to encourage you to stay engaged over the next few minutes because I really believe that God has something He wants to say to us. And we're, we're going to look at these questions that go back and forth, okay? The first question that Jesus is asked is, are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate's first question is a question of authority. He's trying to find out, is Jesus really think he's a king? Do I have anything to worry about with Jesus? Is his kingdom a threat to my kingdom? And when he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? It's a question of authority. Do you think you have the same type of authority that I have? Do you think you're going to set up a kingdom? Do you want control? And instead of answering the question, Jesus asked a question of his own. Jesus inquired of Pilate if this was a question that he really wanted to know or if somebody else had given him that question. And it's amazing because Jesus was beginning a process just like he does with all of us of looking deep, into our hearts and seeing what is truly there. If Jesus is the truth, and we've already said that he is, in that moment he was doing surgery on the heart of Pilate, trying to find out where was his heart at. And just like Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, Jesus' very presence demanded truth. His questions exposed the innermost thinkings and desires of Pilate's heart. And even in this moment of judgment, Jesus is looking beyond the surface of the person standing in front of him to the heart of the man who's there. And the question is the same for every one of us here today. The question of authority. The question for us today is, have we allowed Jesus to have full authority over our lives? Have we declared that Jesus is our Lord and will He be our Lord through the changes of life, through the ups and the downs, through the different degrees of which we see our culture shift from one side to the other? Does Jesus still have authority over my life? I listened to a, a talk this summer from Andy Stanley and Andy Stanley talked about Christ followers and how that often Christ followers will walk away from their faith during seasons of transition from high school to college, from college to getting married, from moving from one city to another. And my question for you today is this question of authority. Will Jesus be your king even in the transitions even during the cultural shifts that we're seeing. And let me tell you, I don't care who sits on the Supreme Court, it's not going to get much better. We've left Jesus in the dust a long time ago in this country. And we must decide flat-footed that no matter what comes, no matter who is elected, Jesus will have the authority over my life no matter how culture shifts, no matter who comes in my life, no matter how good-looking He is, no matter how pretty she is, no matter what my college professor says, no matter what people around me that I work with may try to mold me into what they say culture and truth is Jesus is the authority for truth in my life. Amen. The second question that Pilate says is, am I a Jew? You know, this really kind of landed on my doorstep. I really wasn't looking for this, Jesus. Your people brought you to me. I'm not even a Jew. How did I get mixed up into this thing? And so he just kind of says, well, Kind of like, well, well, Jesus, why are we here? What have you done? As if to say, you must have done something to, to be thrown in front of me here today. Why did they bring the, you to me? And Jesus says, listen to this answer. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
And Jesus is saying, they've got it wrong. They misunderstood my purpose and my truth. I did not show up to set up an earthly kingdom. That's what they wanted me to do. They wanted a Messiah who would deliver them from the oppression of Rome. I came to deliver them from the oppression of religious sin. And they didn't like it. And then Jesus said, I want you to know that if my kingdom, Pilate, look at me in the eyes, if my kingdom were an earthly kingdom, my followers would fight. As a matter of fact, a few hours ago, I had to tell Peter to put down his sword and I had to heal at the 11th hour, something I wasn't planning on doing tonight, but I had to heal one of the high priest's servant, the one who came and had me arrested because after three years, they still don't get it that this isn't about an earthly kingdom. And he says to Pilate, if it were, they would be right here. They'd have my back. But this isn't about an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. My purpose is not to set up an earthly throne like you have. They're looking for another Saul and another David and another Solomon. But that's not why I'm here. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And so the question here is a question of purpose. What is Jesus' purpose? And just like, in Jesus, just like Jesus enlightened Pilate on what true purpose is, sometimes we as the church need to be reminded what our true purpose is. Matthew 28, Jesus, He's on His way back and He says, Go. Everybody say go. Therefore and make. Everybody say make. Disciples of all nations baptizing. Somebody say baptizing. Them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching. Somebody say teaching. Them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We must stay focused on the goal and the mission and the mandate that Jesus has given us. Go. Make. Baptize. Teach. And we must also understand that his mission was given to a group of ordinary men and women. He left it all with a bunch of fishermen and normal people. He didn't leave it with kings and presidents and Supreme Court justices. He didn't leave it with politicians. He left it with people like you and me. And as the church of God, the living God, we need to get back to understanding what our purpose is as believers. And sometimes I'm afraid that we, we feel like that, that if we can vote the right people in office, this place, this country will turn around. We have transferred our responsibility to a group of people who are not capable nor called to the mission. It would be like if your car broke down today and you went to the bakery at Kroger and asked them to fix it. They are incapable of fixing it. They don't have the tools to pull it off. And it would be like if you needed a birthday cake for your child. You're not going to go to your mechanic with a grocery bag of eggs and milk and flour and instructions and say, I need a cake. Is it possible that we as a church have been seduced in thinking that politics is the vehicle for changing the world and we've missed our harvest? See, here's the thing. Revival is a spiritual enterprise, not a political one. And I quote my, my best friend Rodney Vickers when, when he said that a few weeks ago. Revival is a spiritual enterprise, not a political one. And I want to tell you, I get frustrated when I see stuff like this. Give me that meme. And I apologize to you, I, I have not seen anybody in this church that I can remember post this on your Facebook page. And if you have, I, I apologize. I'm not meaning to go after you today. But I'm trying to pastor you. And when we post stuff like this on Facebook, and we say Jesus' bags are packed and he's on the way to the White House because somebody new got elected, that's just not theologically correct. I'm sorry, it's not. It doesn't line up with the Word of God. Because see, Jesus lives inside of me. He doesn't pack up and leave me to go to the White House because now we've got a president who invites evangelical pastors and leaders to come and pray with him. 
And I appreciate that. I heard Jensen Franklin at the General Assembly of the Church of God share some details about walking into the Oval Office and praying with President Trump. And I am glad that that is happening. We need that to happen. I'm, I'm not opposed to that happening. But we cannot make these broad statements and say, now all of a sudden that this one's elected or that's elected. So if it all changes in two years, does that mean Jesus has packed up and He's left Washington? The responsibility and what, my goodness gracious, what Jesus carries in those suitcases. If there's anything real about that, is life and hope and joy. And he doesn't mandate that it goes to a house in Washington. It needs to be in your house in Rankin and in Springfield and in Guyton and in Bloomingdale. That we carry those things every day, everywhere we go. We must be clear about our purpose and not mandate it to somebody else who's not capable or anointed or called to do it. The next question that Pilate asked Jesus, he says, So, you're talking about this kingdom. Are you a king? And Jesus said, You say I'm a king. I was born and came into this world to testify the truth and all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And once again, Jesus has to bring clarity to Pilate about his purpose and why it might seem like it's familiar. And again, he's talking about his purpose, but he's talking about identity. And it's amazing to me. Again, get in this moment. Visualize what this would have been like. In the moment when Jesus' life is on the line... He is still sharing the gospel, the good news. And as he's looking across at a man who holds his life in his hands, or so it would seem, he says, I was born into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And he's saying, don't identify me as a king. Don't identify that I've come to set up some earthly kingdom. Pilate, just sit back, pal. I'm not here to take over your throne. Identify me with truth. Truth has stepped in the room, Pilate. You're looking at truth today. And the question in this is the question, we've talked about the question of authority and the question of purpose. It's the question of identity. And I want to ask us as a church and as believers, are we identified more by what we're against than what we're for? Do people identify you as a conservative, as a liberal, or as a Christ follower? See, the culture today, they, our, our culture today is so thirsty and hungry to put labels on everybody. You're labeled this because you're white, and you're labeled this because you're African American. You're labeled this because you're a woman. You're labeled this because you're a man. You're labeled this because you're from the South. You're labeled this because you're from the North. You're labeled this because you're in politics. You're labeled this because you have a blue collar job, and this because you have a white collar job. We can get wrapped up that the, that the culture tells us who we're supposed to be and what our identity is. But Peter said in 1 Peter 2 9, he said, You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. This is your identity, church. A holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His life. That is who your identity is in. I heard it said better than I can possibly say it. A minute and a half, I'm going to take a break and let Priscilla Shire preach to you. Listen to this.
black woman, a black man, a white woman, a white man, but that should not define you. So that if your race or if your political group is going in a different direction than the word of God, you don't choose your blackness or your whiteness or whatever culture you are, you do not choose that. Or your political persuasion over what it is that God's word declares to be true. Can I hear a good amen? Can I hear a good amen? He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. And guess who the vehicle is that He takes over with? That's you and that's me filled with the power of the Holy Spirit walking in the anointing, speaking the truth and sharing truth in love. So we've looked at the question of authority and the question of purpose and the question of identity and here's the next one the fourth question is where Pilate hears this thing about truth and he pushes back and he says well what is truth and it's a question of principles you can almost hear the sarcasm in Pilate's voice when he says what's truth You can hear the frustration in a man's voice, a a governor who's trying to make his way up the ranks of Roman leadership and he's stuck over here in, in, in Israel with a bunch of Jewish people who are trying to kill this guy who's not done anything wrong. And surely he had dealt with situations as a governor that would require him to make a decision on what is true or not and here he is again and he's trying to decide the fate of a man that he believes is innocent. And it brings up with the topics that he wrestles with most, the topic of truth. And do you think Jesus knew that Pilate dealt with truth down in his heart? Absolutely. That's why he pointed it out in this moment. can Can you imagine how many times once this was all over that Pilate went back to the bedroom and replayed every part of that conversation? Oh my goodness, Pilate's probably thinking, what have I done? I did not think the man was guilty. And as he replays everything that he said, those life-giving words from Jesus, he realizes that he missed it. But if he would have given... And here's the thing, he says, what is truth? It's like a rhetorical question. He doesn't even give Jesus a chance to answer because he rushes out again and he just says, he's not guilty, I I can't find anything guilty with this guy. And if he would have given Jesus the opportunity to respond, we know what Jesus would have said. He would have said, I'm truth. I came from the Father full of grace and truth. He would say, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free, Pilate. He would have said, Pilate, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He would have said, Pilate, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And if there is an issue that we land on in this culture today, it is the question of truth. And we have turned truth upside down and we've put a word in front of truth that is one of the most ridiculous things we can possibly say and that is that there is such a thing as relative truth. Truth today is fluid. It's relative. It's whatever you want it to be. It might be true for you, but it might not be true for me. Anybody else heard this? Relative truth does not work. It doesn't work. And so the question of principles comes down to it. And Pilate wrestles with truth. And we wrestle with truth too. And this whole Kavanaugh-Ford thing, we wrestle and we sit back and we watch and we want to know the truth. Is he telling the truth? Is she telling the truth? Because if she is, then this means something different for him. And if he is, it means something different from her. And what is the truth? And can I just tell you this morning that there will be times... And this is not the first time and everybody in this room who's lived a little bit of life, you'll know this is the truth. This is true that there are times in life when the truth just doesn't reveal itself in a situation. I was early as a youth pastor. And I had a situation that landed in my youth group that was explosive. And I will say today it is one of the most awful things I ever had to deal with. And it was two situations, two people saying 100% the 
that they were telling the truth. It had, it had all types of ramifications. And, and I had to decide who was telling the truth to try to know how to administer that situation. And I want to tell you one of the things I did in that I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I said, God reveal the truth. God reveal the truth. God let the truth come out. It never did. And today I still don't know what is the absolute truth about that situation. But my pastor at the time, a very wise leader, looked at me and as we sat together for many hours trying to figure this out, he said, Les, we may not know the truth, but here's what we are going to do. We will do the right thing. We'll do what's right on our side. And what that tells me is that even when truth is not present in a certain situation, we can respond with actions and words that line up with the Word of God. As believers, it is our responsibility to represent truth to our culture. Let me say that again. You missed it. As believers, it is our responsibility to reflect truth to our culture. They've got to know what the real truth is. It's relative everywhere else. There has to be somebody saying what the truth is. And we're the only ones left with the truth. But we've got to be careful. That our principles don't change with the winds of political or social issues. We have the truth, the principles of God's Word, and may they be our driving force. So we've talked about the question, I'm almost done, the question of authority, and the question of purpose, and the question of identity, and the question of, forgot it, principles. And here's the last one, and it comes in the last question. In, in John chapter 19, we've gone back and forth. Pilate's doing everything he can to let Jesus go free. And he comes back and he says, Jesus, where are you from? Why don't you talk to me? And in frustration, you can hear it in his voice when he finally looks at Jesus in John 19, 10, and he says, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And I want, to realize, I want you to, to picture in your mind the Jesus he's talking to. Because at this point, Jesus is standing here. He has a crown of thorn on his head. He has a purple robe on his back. He is barely alive because he has been beaten and flogged at the hands of Pilate. And he's standing in front of Pilate. And he looks at him and Pilate says, Don't you know that I have the power to release you or crucify you? You need to answer me. And in one last son of God moment... Jesus straightens up and He says you would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. And that's the last thing I want to tell you today is we cannot forget who is in charge. Who has the power. Sometimes we sit on the sidelines and we watch the news. And let me just say to you, I've said it before, if you watch it, and you watch it and it makes you more and more frustrated by all means stop watching it if all it does is make you mad and aggravated and frustrated cut the stinking TV off you're piping poison into your mind and your spirit and your brain and everything about you all the time boy I'm trying not to get upset today but I'm not doing a good job But we sit on the sidelines and we think, what can we do? And again, I thought it too. Let me just talk about me. I've had that thought. If we can get the right person in Washington in about three more weeks, if we can get the right person in Atlanta, then the dominoes are going to fall. And if we can get the right people in power, if all 100 senators are, are believers in Jesus... If the president is cap, cap, cabinet and all the house, if it all, if everybody was believers in Jesus, it's not going to work. Because that's not the way it's supposed to work. 
And that's the most absurd thing I've said all day, that that would even be a possibility, isn't it? Oh, I'm getting in the flesh now. I'm trying to stay on my notes. But no matter who is in power, what I'm saying is there's always going to be problems. And if you're, if you're wise, you'll understand that. There may be a few things that change. But it doesn't matter if it's your guy or their guy. There are always going to be problems. And the key is the words of Jesus. As Jesus says the only th- power that matters is the power and the one who's in charge. God is in control. I want you to say that with me. God is in control. No matter who is in the White House or who's on the Supreme Court or who does or doesn't get elected, God is in control. And here's the thing that somebody here needs to be reminded of. This world is not our home. As great as we believe the United States is, and I have a flag on my front porch, I'm not anti-American at all. But as great as this country is, it is full of sin. Just like every other country on this planet that's ever been. And on her best day, on her best day, the United States of America pales in comparison to what God has prepared for those of us who love Him and await His appearing. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The truth of the gospel. Everything we see, it's going to be gone. That's why as your pastor, I just implore you today, don't wrap yourself in all that stuff because it's all going to be gone. Put yourself in people. That's what's important. Most important two things I did yesterday. Three three things my day looked like yesterday. About three hours in the morning finishing up this message. I spent three hours with him last night playing golf. He played a lot better than I did. But that was an important part of my day. And I spent three hours last night with my bride on a date. We need to put our time in people. Not politics. Not culture. Not consuming all that stuff. Put your life in people. Kevin, if you'll come. I want to close with this thought. And I want to thank you for your attentiveness this morning. This is a long message. And some of y'all are like, what else is new? You preach long every week. I saw y'all looking. (laughs) But see, you love me and I love you anyway and we're good. Can I give you one more really aha moment in this story? It really is a, it's a part that breaks your heart. Because after all this, and I've, I've read this story over and over this week, and I'm fully convinced that Pilate was trying so hard to do the right thing. I mean, there were multiple times that he's like, he's not guilty. And I know that the reason why, I know no matter how it went down, Jesus had to go to that cross to save you and me. But you know what was the final card that the Jewish leaders pulled out of their pocket and threw on the table in front of Pilate? It was the king card. Caesar and when they dropped those words in front of Pilate it sent the scripture says your Bible says that it terrified Pilate because he was a political man in a political position and the very men who had been entrusted with the word of God the pastors and the preachers and he said this is your man this is your man I've beaten him there's a crown on his head there's a robe on his back you don't even recognize him crucify him I see nothing wrong with him crucify him and the crux at the end 
the mob mentality took over. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The mob mentality. Anybody know about the mob mentality in the United States right now? Both sides, there's a mob mentality. We can't get caught up in the mob mentality. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Barabbas. Bring out Barabbas. They traded Jesus for a liar and a thief and a revolutionary and a murderer. A murderer goes free and the Son of God goes to a cross for you and me. So can I remind you today with everything in me as your pastor to say our mission is not politics. We need to pray. We need to vote. We need to stand up for things that are right 100% absolutely. And we're going into a series next week where we're going to talk specifically about how do we love and how do we give truth in our culture. It is one of the most important message series I've preached in the, in the 15 months of being your pastor. Starts next week. But we must not forget what our call and our mission is. We are called to represent the man who would be given to that crowd and would spend the rest of that afternoon walking to a hill and giving his life. We were talking about this last night when we were going out to eat and I said, trust I said do you realize that the very people the religious leaders who wanted him killed and cried out crucify him crucify him they were so adamant with the mob mentality that he went all the way to the that they went all the way to the cross with him and as Jesus hung on a cross he looked at the very ones who had chosen Barabbas and not him. The very ones who had berated him for three years. The very ones who were the reason why he was on that cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I want to say to, to you today, Jesus, Father, forgive us. Because sometimes we don't know what we're doing. We get so sidetracked on things that aren't important. And God forgive us. Oh God, let us not pass our responsibilities to carry the truth of the gospel to somebody else. Today, Jesus, remind us of who you've called us to be and what you want us to do. Remind us of the price that it cost you. And remind us, Jesus, again, that you pushed away every political moment in your life. You pushed it away. And you reminded those of why you are really here. Can we stand together this morning? I want Cody and Tressa to come. And I want us to close in prayer this morning. We met in a classroom at Lee University, Lee College at the time. And our first teacher was a, a teacher who wasn't a lot older than us. Her name was Andrea Dismuke. She's a doctor now. She's a professor at Lee. And last week, she said this on Facebook. And I want to leave you, because this, is, this is, needs to be our prayer. May the truth come to light.
And in our world, may the abused and oppressed find a listening ear in justice. May the falsely accused be proven innocent. And may the Christian church get back to sharing the good news of Christ's immeasurable, unfathomable, and redeeming love. Redeeming love. I want us to check our hearts today as we come before the Lord. And I want us to ask Him today, every one of us here today, where are we at as we bow our heads and close our eyes all over this room? And I want you to be so bold this morning as to ask the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, have I, are my eyes on a mission that's not my mission? Have I got focused on stuff that I don't need to be focused on? Am I worried about things that I have no control over? Do you have something greater for me? Something more important for me? Am I distracted by stuff in life? It might not be politics for you today. It may be your job. You may be trying, trying to make too much money. Too focused. You don't spend any time with your family. You may be in an addiction or something that's got you bound today. And Jesus is here today to say, the truth can set you free. And as we come before Him today, will you check your heart? And right where you're at, can we just take a moment to pray and talk to Him? Lord Jesus, as we come here today, we bring our lives to You today as believers. And we thank You for going to that cross and redeeming our lives. And we thank You today, Jesus, that You have made a way that we can have eternal life with You. Jesus, we come before you today and we say, God, we, we ask you to realign our priorities one more time. Lord, I pray that we would walk completely under the authority of who you are. God, I pray you would remind us of what our purpose is as believers. God, let us not forget that we are identified as a holy people chosen and called out from darkness into light God help us not to forget the principles that we stand upon the unfailing truths of the word of God God let us not forget that all power is held in your hands Father it's not held in a city it's not held with a governor or a president or a leader all power belongs to you we declare that over our lives today may we get back to sharing the good news of Christ immeasurable and fathomable and redeeming love thank you for going to the cross for me Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't get caught up in all the politics, but you got caught up in people. And I'm one of those people. Can you lift your hands with me all over this place? And can we worship right now and give Him thanks and praise? Am I the only one that just feels overwhelmed right now and just want to just give Him praise and worship Him? Jesus, we thank you today. One more time, Lord, we thank you for going to the cross. We thank you for every stripe on your back. We thank you for the crown of thorns on your head. We thank you that you didn't tap out, but you went all the way. We thank you, Lord, that as arms were stretched wide, you looked through time and you looked at me and you looked at these people here today and you said, Father, forgive them. And Lord, we thank you today for grace and forgiveness and mercy. Lord, we love you today and we just praise you for all that you are and all you've done in our lives. And God, I hear today as I preach it and as I received it from you this week and as we receive it in this room, we hear the conviction of your spirit and we thank you for conviction in our hearts to turn us back to you, to set our eyes on what's important. As the writer said, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith we run the race today and let us not be distracted by the things on our right or on our left 
But God, may the truth set us free to run wide open to you and to share your love and grace with those around us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can we sing the bridge together to this song? Together this morning is our declaration. My life. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not Let's say that again I will build my life I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation I will put my trust in you alone and I'll say it again I will build my life say it to him oh I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be oh, holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and that's our prayer today as we go show us who you are fill us with your heart with your passion and lead us in love to those around us those lyrics is the heartbeat of our church hear his heart show his love let us be the hands and feet of Jesus there's nothing more important than the call and what he's called us to be. Amen. 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 God bless you today for being in worship. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you back here Wednesday night for Family Ministry Night.